This is my right A right given by God To live a free life To live in freedom Talking about Okay, part five. We're in part five of Galatians and a series called Freedom. And today we've got a lot to cover. We're going to answer some questions, but then muddy the water on other questions, okay? I know we've been asking a lot of questions in this series. And today we're going to, like I said, we're going to answer some of them, but some of them are going to get even messier, I think. I hope not. Maybe, maybe. We'll get to, we'll get to the answers, though. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 15 through 20 today. So I'm just going to dive right in because we have a lot to cover. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but this one verse, verse 15, is probably the most important verse in all of the book of Galatians. It is key. It is huge. In fact, commentators say this is the most important verse in Galatians. And so if that's true, then maybe we might want to look at it again. Maybe I'll read it one more time. We'll slow down a little bit and try to see why this is so important. And while we're looking at it, I want you to notice how many times Paul uses the word justified in just one verse. In fact, he's actually going to use it more, but in just this one verse, he crams it in there three times. And so let's look at it again real quickly, and then we'll unpack some of this stuff. He says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. He just repeated himself, didn't he? He said the same exact thing two times. Then he says, because, comma, by works of the law, no one will be justified. So he actually said it three times. That's called being repetitively redundant, isn't it? He's really trying to drive this home. He wants us to see one thing. And what he wants us to see is that no man is justified by works. We are all justified by faith in Christ. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I typically try to stay away from big, long, Christian, jargony words. Do you know what I mean? Someone say amen. amen. Like, I try to not to preach sermons and then use big, heavy theological terms because I like to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf if I can. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes you just can't escape it. Sometimes you have to use big words. And so today we're going to talk about this one big word called justification. In fact, if I can get real heavy, we're going to talk about the doctrine of justification. And you may not think about theological terminology. Raise your hand if you think about the doctrine of justification pretty often. <laughs> uh, Steve answered right, actually, and so did Austin. Um, most of you think I don't think about it very often, I mean, very often, but I would like to argue that all of you think about it all day, every day. In fact, it's the only thing you think about. 
Believe it or not, it's true. You are constantly thinking about justification because deep down in the soul of who you are, you want to be justified. Am I right? You want to be right. You want to be validated. You want your life to matter. You want your life to count. And so everything that you do, everything that you are, all your dreams, all your hopes, all your aspirations, they're all infused in this concept of being justified. So you see, you think about it all day long. One, one um, writer said this, justification is the deepest touch point of all human existence. You didn't know that until tonight, did you? Justification is the deepest touch point of all human existence. The haunting question of all of our lives is, how can I be justified? How can I guarantee that the ultimate grade on my life is pass and not fail? What can I do to ensure that I will not be judged a failure? We try to avoid the judgment of failure by being a good mother or being a good father or being a good husband or being a good wife, and we work really hard to escape a failing grade in life by trying to succeed, whether it be business or relationships or morality. And so all that we are is rooted in our need, our desire to be justified, to be right, to be validated. You can ask yourself this question, what gets you up in the morning? You know, when you ask yourself, why do I get out of bed? What drives me? What passions do I have? What pursuits am I after? If you really ask that question, you'll get down to the heart of everything, your heart of who you really are and what you really long for. And when you get to that, you'll see that it's all about justification. You want your life to count and you want to be right, not wrong. <laughs> am I right? Tell me I'm right, because I want to be right. <laughs> Not wrong. And so the word justified simply means this, to be made right, okay? It, 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 it isn't forgiveness, okay? Forgiveness is something different. Forgiveness is, I'll let you pass because I'm going to give you a curve. You know what I mean? Justification is, you're getting an A+. You have passed. You have been validated. You have been justified. So Paul is saying, in this passage, that no one is justified by works. Think about that for a second. Your deepest desire is to be right. Your deepest desire is to be justified. And so you do things in order to ensure that you will be justified. But Paul says, no one is justified by works. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? In fact, he says it a different way in the book of Colossians, one of my favorite books. Um, in Colossians, he says it a little differently, but I like the way he says it there, so I wanted to show you. He says... And you who were dead in your sin and your uncircumcision of your flesh, that's sin, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our sin by canceling, listen to this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Do you see that? Jesus canceled our record of debt, which stood against us with its legal demands. We're going to unpack that legal demand thing in a minute. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So do you, see the, do you see the heaviness of this doctrine of justification? When Jesus died on the cross, he canceled our debt. He paid it all. You owe nothing. Justified, you're justified. That means you're right, you're clean, you're clear, you're debt-free, you're approved, you're good. And he did it all. How did he do it? By erasing it, by canceling it, especially the legal demands of those things that says, you owe, you owe, you owe. Jesus said, no, you don't owe. I canceled it. And he did that by nailing it to the cross. This is a big deal, don't you think? This is huge. If you think about it, Paul just took something else from you. 
<laughs> Paul keeps taking stuff from us, doesn't he? You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. Paul just took, you can't justify yourself. You can't make your life count. <laughs> you can't make your life matter. You can't do anything to make it count because in the end, the only thing that makes it count is what? Faith in Christ. He makes it count. You can't. But if you look at it this way, do you see how this can be true freedom? All that you are, every little dream that you have, every deep down insecurity that you wrestle with is rooted in justification. And Paul says, you can't do anything to get it. He's already given it to you. He's erased it completely, your legal demands, your debt, and now you're justified, you're right, you're validated. What, do you, what kind of freedom is that? Now you no longer fear judgment. You don't have to fear the judgment of God. Why? Because you're justified. You're right. You, you're, 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 you're fit. It's okay. You're, it's good. You've got to pass. You don't have to fear judgment. You don't have to fear um, whether or not your life will count. It will count. Because your life is Christ's life. This is, this is ultimate freedom. Do you see how nothing can set you free as much as the doctrine of justification? You are free. Now, guess what you can do? You can be happy. You can be confident. You can be bold. You can be courageous. You can be free. What kind of life would that be? Would it be a different life? The gospel transforms us. That's why it transforms us. It sets us free, even from the fear of needing to be justified. Well, let, let me show you some more verses. Um, look at this again. Um, the, the verse that we're talking about, chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Let me just recap what we covered last week. Paul was explaining to Peter that um, he didn't have to separate from the Gentiles to have lunch with the Jews. And so he's saying no one is justified by um, works, especially the ceremonial works of separating yourself from unclean people. Everyone is clean. But now he's saying, but yet everyone is also a sinner. Um, we are Jews by birth, which means we are God's chosen people. We are God's chosen race. And we got that from birth. We didn't get it from obeying the law. We're actually still sinners. Jews are still sinners. And Gentiles, he says sarcastically, Gentile sinners are sinners because they don't even have the law. They have no way of knowing what the law is. They're not going to try to, they're gonna, they eat bacon and they don't know it's bad. So Paul's saying it doesn't matter though. They're sinners because they don't have the law, and we're sinners because we do have the law. In the end, we're all sinners, and no human being can be justified by the law. We know that now, Paul says. Now we know that. So how can we be saved? How can we be made right? Only by grace, only by the gospel. This is the same way that he says it in Romans 3. He says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, let me just read you a quote from Martin Luther about these verses that we've been reading. Luther says this. Let's say for the sake of argument that you could fulfill the law, at least in the spirit of the law, the first commandment of God. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that you could do that. What is the first law? It is, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, if you're with me, you should be laughing. Because you can't, right? You know you can't. But let's just say for the sake of argument that you could. And let's say you did. Let's say that you kept that law to, not the letter, but to the spirit of it. You just got it. You do love God with all your heart. Listen to what Luther says. It would do you no good. 
a person simply is not justified by the works of the law. Even if you were able to keep the law, it doesn't matter because Paul just said, no one is justified by the law. <laughs> raise your hand if you've got questions now. Okay, because I do. I got lots of them. You're not gonna raise your hand? You're scared. All right, you don't have questions then you should preach. I got questions. I got questions. Here, here's one of the questions. Then why do we have the law? Or even better, then why did God give us the law? Didn't God give it to us? Isn't God good? Isn't the law good? <laughs> if so, then why do we have it if no one can be justified by it? And Luther is saying, even if you did it, no big deal. <laughs> no one is justified by the law. You're still going to un be unjustified. <laughs> I'm wondering that question. Maybe you're not. What's the purpose of the law? Well, this might be a good time to answer some questions that you've been wrestling with, some questions that I've been wrestling with. But like I said, it might, it might not answer all of them. We will, though. We're still in chapter 2. we got six more or four more chapters to go. I want to take us back to Romans 3, the verse I just read. It says, he gives us a hint, here's why the law exists. By works of the law, no human being can be justified, since through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. Yeah. So the law, you see, is a tool. It's a tool to reveal to you our sin. The law exists to show you, yep, you're a sinner. <laughs> Can the law save you? No, because the law is always going to reveal to you that, yep, you're a sinner. It's a tool. It's a diagnostic tool, if you will. A, a, good, a good word, isn't it, Carrie? It's a diagnostic tool. Uh, it means it's going to give you a diagnosis. And the diagnosis the law will always give you is, yep, you're a sinner. <laughs> isn't that true? Yeah. Everyone's a sinner. A good way of thinking of it is like, it's like an x-ray. Let's say I went to the doctor. The doctor found a lump. And I do have many lumps. Um, <laughs> let's say one of them, the doctor said, we're worried about that lump. It might be a cancerous. So the next thing we'd do is we'd get an x-ray, right? Or an MRI. And the doctor would say, that x-ray would say, yep, you got a lump. <laughs> and yep, that lump is cancerous. And yep, that lump is spreading. So another way of saying it is, yep, you got some sin in there. And it's spreading. And it's going to kill you. That's what the law is. If you took a law x-ray, the law would always say, Sin, 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 sin. Unjustified. You're going to hell. Your life is not going to matter. You get a failing grade at the end of the day. That's what the law will always do. Always. Does it matter how many x-rays you take? Is it going to cure your cancer? No. Does it matter if you sit in the x-ray chair or lay in the x-ray tube longer? <laughs> hey, doc, let's go 30 more minutes. <laughs> Is that going to cure you? Is the x-ray machine going to cure you? What if you saw, shined that x-ray machine up and sucked all the dust out of the fans? You know what I mean? With, okay, now let's try it. You could do that all day long, and you might want to, actually. But in the end, is the x-ray machine ever going to cure you? No, it won't cure you. It's always got one job. The one job of the law is to diagnose your problem. That's what it's for. And everyone's problem is the same. We're all sinners. Job realized this almost four or 5,000 years ago. Job says, but how can a man be justified, be right before God? If one wishes to contend or argue with God, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. Hey, God, but what about? Okay, let's just take an x-ray. Let me get the law. Sorry, <laughs> you're not justified. You are not justified. The law is the diagnostic tool. 
then what's the, the law isn't the cure. What's the, well, you know what the cure is, right? Let me say it this way. The law has every stinking right to tell you that you need to love God with all your heart, doesn't it? God made the law, it's good. He wrote it to tell you that. The law has every right to say, you better honor your father and your mother. That's the rules. These are good and holy and pure rules. The law has every right to say, thou shalt not commit adultery. The law has every right to do that. But the law has no right or no power or no ability to save you. Am I right about that? Because even if you try to obey the law, it will not save you for two reasons. One, you can't. And two, it won't. Only Christ can save you. He's the cure. So here's what Luther says. He says, Christ is no sheriff. He's the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Christ is no lawgiver. He's the life giver. He's the forgiver of sin. So Jesus comes in and he cancels the debt and the legal demands of that law and nails it to the cross and says, justified, right, A+. That's the good news of the gospel. Recap. The law cannot justify you, right? Yeah. No one. The only thing that justifies you is Christ. So it's not by the works, but by the faith in Christ. If you understand this, if you're hearing, what, if you're hearing the words that be coming out of my mouth, okay? If you, if you hear this, then the next thought you have is always going to be a problem. The next thought that's on your mind is always going to be, well, it's going to be a problem. The question that you have is going to be the same question that Paul's getting ready to ask. And the funny thing is, is that Paul knows you're going to ask the question, and so we always ask the question for you. Here's the question. But if in our endeavor to be justified or made right in Christ, okay, fine. If that's how you're made right, I'll put my faith in Christ. If, if we endeavor to do that, and yet we're still found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? So here's the problem. I get an x-ray. And the x-ray says, you have sin. But then Jesus says, I'll be your cure. But then guess what? If I take an x-ray, I still have sin. Do I not? So the law says you're evil. Jesus says, I cured you. But the law still says I'm evil. I still sin. That's a problem there, don't you think? And Paul's saying, if that's true, does that mean that Jesus is encouraging sin? That Jesus is a minister of sin? That Jesus is peddling sin? It's funny. So, like I said before, Paul always asks this question. If the doctrine of justification is being taught clearly and truthfully, this is always the question that follows. Wait a minute. If that then therefore is true, then I can then therefore go on and sin. I know that you're thinking that because we've already talked about it. I don't know about you, but if I went to the doctor and the doctor said, you got the cancer, I would say, okay, we got an x-ray. And then uh, a couple, couple weeks later, he says, you're cured. I'd be like, well, then why is that thing still on the x-ray? Why is it, what's that green, orange glowing thing, you know, right there on my chest? The dog say, oh, don't worry about it. It's just there. <laughs> Trust me, you're cured. I don't know about you, but I'd have a problem with that, wouldn't you? And the law says, you're a sinner, you fall short of God's law. And Jesus says, I paid it all, but guess what? I've still got sin in there. How does this work? In, in, in the book of Romans, um, Paul does the same thing. He is teaching the doctrine of justification clearly and adequately through the whole book. And then he gets to chapter 6, and he starts asking this 
these, these, the, a plethora of questions that sound just like the one that we, we always ask. Uh, well, here's one of the questions. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. So see, he's taught the gospel, and then he says, if you're hearing me on the gospel, your next question is going to be, well, then should we just go on and sin so that grace may abound? And then Paul says, may it never be. And then for the next four or five verses, he explains why that's a silly question. Well, you would never ask that question. And then he says it again in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? And then Paul says, by no means. And then for the next five, six verses, he explains why that's just a silly question. And then again, verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? Is the law sin? <laughs> no, by no means. And again, he takes 10, 15 verses to explain why that's just a silly question. And he does this about seven or eight times with different questions. And every single time he says, this is why that's a silly question. Now, it's not silly that you ask the question. In fact, it's appropriate that you ask the question. If you've been tracking with me when I talked about how no man is justified by works, no man is justified by um, the law, only we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, then it would make sense for your next thought to be, well, then can I go on sinning? It's not a silly question at all. It's just silly if you were to live that way. It makes sense that you would think it, but it makes no sense that you would do it. Does that make sense? So back to Galatians 2, he says, if we endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. Then does that make Christ a servant of sin? And his answer is just like Romans, certainly not. That's just a silly question. Why? Here's why. Here's where it's going to get confusing, I think. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Oh, okay. I get it. <laughs> If I rebuild that which I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So here's the deal. Our first thought is, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. I'm a sinner. I long to be justified. I cannot justify myself. This is bad news. Oh, but there's good news. Jesus died for me. He's the cure. Yet I still have sin in my heart. Um, but that's okay because he's the cure and I'm cured. So even though I have sin, I've been stamped with an approval of cured. So then it really won't matter if I continue to go on sin, right? I mean, like, on purpose and stuff. Because I've already got sin, and I'm cured. If I add more sin to that, I'm still cured, right? I've already been justified. I've already been made right, right? Right? That's our natural thinking. And then Paul says, no, because if I rebuild that which I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, if Christ canceled the debt that I had and then I piled more debt on top of it, I show that I'm an evildoer. I'm evil because I have no comprehension of what Christ has done to erase my debt. And I have no respect for Christ. And I have no respect for grace. And I probably have never really grasped the gospel because I'm still willing to pile on more debt and more debt upon that debt which Jesus has already erased for me. Why would I do that? That's not the gospel. That's not even freedom, by the way. If we continue to pile more debt, that's not freedom. That's, that's slavery to sin. That's slavery to more debt. It would be silly to say, Jesus loves me so much, he died for me. Now I'm going to run as far as I can from him. That would be silly, wouldn't it? So Paul's saying, may it never be. I, I think of it in my mind like this. If you've got a friend, maybe a son. Let's just use the example of a son. You've got a son and this has happened to you before, right, Karen? And he goes to jail, right? 
you have to bail them out. Maybe you didn't bail them out. Okay. Yeah. Other son? Other son bailed you out? Okay. No, other son was Oh, okay, okay. Let's say you had a son. He gets in trouble. It happens, you know, teenagers. They get in trouble. They go in jail. Immediately as a parent, you want to bail them out, right? You've got the cash. You bail them out. They come out. What happens if that son gets in jail again? Well, you'll bail them out, you know, <laughs> again and again and again. How many times does he have to continue to get himself in trouble and in jail before you as the father say, maybe I should just leave him in there? Maybe my grace is not working. Maybe my love and my compassion isn't teaching him, you know, to change. Maybe he's not motivated by my grace. Maybe, in fact, my grace is motivating him to continue to live this way. Maybe I'm um, condoning his activities. Maybe I'm um, encouraging it. So I'm just going to let him, let him be. And then maybe the law <laughs> will teach him a thing or two. And I think that's exactly what Paul says in the book of Romans. He loves us. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He will save us. But if we continue to rally up against him, continue to sin against him, eventually he's going to give us over to our sinful desires and let the law handle us. And if the law continues to beat on us, it will kill us and we will not be justified. Eventually we have to see the law beaten on us to say, I need grace. I need grace. You see, we're not justified by faith alone, right? It's a trick question. We're not justified by faith alone. We're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. So you can't just say, I have faith that God's going to justify me and then live in sin. <laughs> you have to say, I have faith that God's justified me in Christ, and therefore you have to have a relationship with Christ. You have to be in unity with Christ. You have to uh, understand Christ and know Jesus, and you have to love Jesus. I think that's what that means. And so if you know Jesus and you love Jesus and you recognize what he's paid for your sin, you wouldn't say, yippee, I get to sin. You would say, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to live more like Jesus. I want to run to Jesus. And so the point of the thing is that the law exists to beat you into Jesus' arms. And then once you're in Jesus' arms, you're free. You're free from the law. In fact, the law is dead to you. That's what Paul says in Acts. Listen to this. For through the law, I died to the law. <laughs> That's a big deal so that I might live to God. Think about what he said. Through the law, I died to the law. <laughs> That's a very harsh Michael Corleone kind of a thing to say. You know what I'm saying? You know who Michael Corleone, Corleone is? The Godfather, thank you. You're dead to me, is what he says to his brother-in-law. You're dead to me. Paul basically says that to the law. Law, you're dead to me. That was my best gangster impression. Paul's basically saying the law is dead to me. It is dead to me. Why? Now that it's dead to me so that I can live to God. I'm dead to the law. I'm free from the law. Now I can live to God. This is a harsh statement. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Martin Luther says, I have nothing to do with the law, cries Paul. <laughs> when, when you think about it, that is a almost, you know, unbelievable thing to say. He says he could not have uttered anything more devastating to the prestige of the law. All those people who are all about the law, he says, the law's dead to me. We are free from the law. That's what this is all telling us. Do you see that we're free from the law? The gospel of freedom sets us free even to the law. Not free so that we can break it, but free so that it won't break us. Does that make sense? The law will not break you. 
the law will say to you, you're a sinner. And you'll say, hey, no, no biggie. I've been cured. But you're still a sinner. I know, I'm still cured. <laughs> the law cannot break you. You're free. Free from the law. Now, I've got some quotes that I want to share with you from Martin Luther. Um, here's the big idea. The law is not bad, right? It's not. It's good. It's good. However, it cannot save us. The law will never, never save you. Jesus saves us. We're, not, we're no longer condemned by the law, meaning punished by the law. Instead, our debt's been paid for. We don't have to pay our debt. Jesus canceled the legal demands of the law by nailing it to the cross, and he didn't cancel the law. He just canceled our debt. Does that make sense? The law still exists. So because of that, we are free, free from the law. Now, I want to share a couple of quotes from Luther because I just... I'll be honest with you, you guys have to download that commentary because I'm like highlighting every word in that book. And I wanted to share so many quotes and I am going to share so many quotes, but I wanted to share all of them. L listen to what he says about the law because, because I have to say this, there is this issue here that in our brains, we cannot separate the law from, from, our, from our faith because the law is good. It is good to obey your parents. It is good to not commit adultery. It is good to love your neighbor as yourself. It is good to care for the poor. Those are the laws that were written in the Old Testament. But Paul is saying the law is dead. The law has no power to save you. Only Christ can save you. So then our question is, but what about the law? And Luther, I think, does a great job of answering that. He says it in a way that I've never heard before, and I'm sure you haven't either. We are not to think that the law is wiped out. It stays. It continues to operate in the wicked. But a Christian is dead to the law. Oh, so the law exists for the bad people. Okay, I get that. I like that. For example, Christ, by his resurrection, became free from the grave, and yet the grave remains. And Peter was delivered from prison, yet the prison remains. The law is abolished as far as I'm concerned, Luther says, when it has driven me into the arms of Christ. Yet the law continues to exist and to function, but yet it no longer exists to me. This is pretty radical, isn't it? The law is here, and it exists, and it does show me my diagnostic. It does show me that I'm wrong. But in the end, it just drives me to the arms of Christ, and I have nothing to do with it. See, here's what I think he is saying here. The law is a diagnosis, and it tells you that you're a sinner. It tells you that you're in danger of not being justified. It tells you that you are going to be unsaved. And we feel that in our conscience. Every time we sin, we know we're wrong. We know we're bad. And we have this idea in our mind that God likes us, when we're being good, and he's mad at us when we're being bad, don't we? But in the end, that's not true at all. The law just exists to say, look, you're bad, <laughs> as is everybody. And as that law beats you and chastises your flesh, you say, okay, 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 and you run into the arms of Jesus. And when you're in the arms of Jesus, the law can't touch you because you've already been justified. You've already been wiped clean. All your sin has been nailed on the cross that Jesus died upon, and so it's finished. This will revolutionize your life. I promise you. If you can think of it this way, why are Christians so concerned about doing better and trying harder and being gooder? Because we've been told all our life that we have to, we have to do that. But Luther's saying, you, you're dead to that. Just run into the arms of Jesus. That's what the law exists for. Kick you into pants and get you into Jesus' hands. And then when you're there, you're free. You see that? Who wants that? I want that. What if the law, instead of pushing me down and made me feel insecure and made me feel like a rebel and made me feel like dirty, 
What if the law just pushed me into Jesus' arms? Why is it that when I sin against him, I want to run away from him? Because the law actually exists to push me to him. But instead, what I typically do is think that he's mad at me, so I run from him. But the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Nowhere. Luther goes on. Blessed is the person who knows how to use this truth. The truth that I've just explained to you. Think of the law as being that thing that whomps you in the rear and gets you back into Jesus' hands. You know what I mean? Think of the law like that. That blesses any person who knows how to use this truth in the times of distress. Because if you have this, you can talk. You can talk to yourself. You can say, Mr. Law, go ahead and accuse me as much as you like. I know I've committed many sins and I continue to sin daily, but that does not bother me. You have got to shout louder, Mr. Law. I'm deaf, you know. Talk as much as you like. I'm dead to you. If you want to talk to me about my sins, listen to this. Go and talk to my flesh. Beat on that for a while. Belabor that for a while. But don't talk to my conscience because my conscience is a lady and a queen and has nothing to do with the likes of you because my conscience lives to Christ under another law, a new and a better law, the law of grace. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? Luther's saying, if the law wants to beat on you, you tell the law, beat on my flesh, which means the law is good for changing your flesh, right? You know you're not supposed to lust with your eyes, and so when the law whips on you, you say, yeah, okay, I should not do that, you know? You know you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, and when you don't, the law whips on you and you say, yeah, no, I'm supposed to do that. But Luther's saying, don't you ever let that law talk to your conscience. Talk to your heart, I should say, I guess. Because you as a person, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've already been lifted to the heavenlies. Your, your life has actually already been judged. That validation, that, that, that justification that you long for, you already, you've already had it. It's done. You've already been judged. When you die, the judgment is not going to change. <laughs> So you tell that law to stop talking to your conscience. You're already saved. You're already in the heavenlies. You tell the law, if he wants to talk to you at all, talk to your flesh. Yes, law, you're right. I do need to be a better person. But you know what? I, I'm saved in Christ. You can't condemn me. Someone just give me a good nod if you're understanding or if I need to slow down. Okay, all right. Because I know this is a lot. I mean, I'm reading it and I'm like, man, spooning it in. You know, give me more of this. Because why is it that I've never in my life heard this before? This is 1,400 years old. Why is it that I've never heard this before? Why is it that instead what I heard is you suck and you need to try harder and you're never going to make it? <laughs> I wish I would have known then to say, yep, you're right. But guess what? I already made it. <laughs> I love it. Listen to this. <laughs> By the grace of God, we know that we are justified through faith in Christ alone. Amen? Amen? We do not mingle law and grace. That's where we get confused. We never mingle law and grace, faith and works. We keep them far apart. Let every true Christian, <laughs> I like that, let every true Christian mark this distinction between law and grace and mark it well. Law is over here. Grace is over here. We do not mix them. We do not say, yes, you've been saved by grace, but you need to look like this. That is not the gospel. That is not the freedom. That is legalism. That is Jesus plus this. Law is over here. Grace is over here. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. The law can do what it wants over there. I'm over here. You can go over here if you want, y'all. You're going to find me over here. You're going to be finding me over here drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper. You guys can run over here and work like a rabbit in a wheel all you want. I'm going to be over here. Amen? Who wants to join me? 
No one? All right. You guys? Lord, give me strength. Luther says this. We can tell the difference. We do not hear, and this is important. I think this is going to answer some of your questions. We can tell the difference. We do not hear, and now, that is in this verse, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, or in Galatians chapter 2, chapter 1, and chapter 2, and chapter 3, <laughs> okay? We do not hear and now argue whether we ought to do good works or whether the law is any good. Do you hear that? Right now, we're not going to talk about whether or not we should do good works or whether or not the law is good. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> I just love this guy, man. I, wanna, I can't wait to meet him. Or whether the law ought to be kept at all. We will discuss these questions some other time, like in chapter 5, okay? We are now concerned with justification. You see, our opponents refuse to make this distinction. All they can do is bellow that good works ought to be done. You ought to do good works. You got to be doing good. You got, if you're a Christian, you should be doing good. You're saved by faith, but faith is never alone. Alone, alone, you got to do something. You're right? He says, we know that. His next line. We know that. We know we're supposed to be doing good. And we know that good works ought to be done. But we will talk about that when the proper time comes. For now, we are dealing with justification. And here, good works should not be so much as mentioned. Because no good work is going to justify you. Nothing. You are saved by Jesus. That's it. Yeah, you know, you probably should love your neighbor. You should love your neighbor. You should obey these laws. You should talk to your mother, you know, call her every once in a while. That's holy and true, and the, and the law exists. David said it's like a honeycomb to my lips. It's good, and it is good. The law is good, and you know this to be true, too. If you do respect your parents, it does work out well for you, doesn't it? If, if you do love your wife as you love yourself, it makes a better marriage, doesn't it? If you do, you know, tithe 12%, the Lord will reap upon you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I had to say that. Maybe this will help you. It's a difference between, some big theological words, okay? The difference between justification and sanctification. Justifications mean you've been made right and you are saved. Nothing you do, nothing you do, nothing you do can save you. Only Jesus can save you. And then when Jesus saves you, things will change in your life. Or else it's worthless, don't get saved, okay? <laughs> when, when Jesus saves you, things will change in your life. And as those change happens, that's called sanctification. Sanctus means holy. And so sanctification means to be made more holy. And so as the justification process happens, you're done, but you're still alive <laughs> and you still have sin, but you're learning to look more like Jesus. And that's called sanctification. What Luther's saying here is that justification has nothing to do with sanctification and sanctification has nothing to do with justification. You're saved by grace and faith in Christ alone, period. Don't add a plus sign. Plus you need to look like this. No, 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 alone. But then eventually you will want to do better. You won't try harder to do better. You'll want to do better. And that's called sanctification. And we'll talk about that some other day, as Luther says, some other place. Not right now. Right now it's, you don't do nothing. <laughs> Jesus does. I can't think of another double negative. Um, Jesus does everything. <laughs> so let me conclude by saying something impressive. <laughs> The last verse says something very intriguing to me. This is Paul talking. 
last, it's not the last verse of chapter two. We'll take that next week. Um, but the second to the last verse, he says something really intriguing to me, almost sensational if you listen to it. And I want us to see it and I want us to end on that. Paul says, the life that I now live in the flesh, so we have this flesh and the flesh is sinful and it's, and it's still here. But the life that I'm living in this sinful flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. I'm gonna live this life by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul is telling us the motivator for good living. Paul's telling us why he's motivated to do good things. It's not because of the law. He's dead to the law. I'm dead to the law. The life I live is to Christ who loves me and gave his life for me. And so if I'm going to live my life, I'm going to live it for a man who loves me and died for me. That makes me want to live for him. That makes me want to live all for him. Not the law, but love is what motivates me. And I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of affection in this word. That's why I say it's a sensational verse. Because there's love coming from Christ, obviously, to Paul. He loves me and gave his life for me, Paul says. But then you also hear Paul saying, and I love him. And I'm going to live my life through him and for him and to him. That is pretty powerful. Luther says this, did the law ever love me? Did the law ever sacrifice itself for me? Did the law ever die for me? On the contrary, the law accuses me. It frightens me. It drives me crazy. Somebody else saved me from the law, from sin and from death unto eternal life. And that somebody is the son of God to whom be praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So here's how I'd like to conclude. I think it's appropriate for us to conclude on this verse. The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ is what motivates me. The love of Christ is what moves me to do anything. I have a relationship with him, and I want to look more like him, and I want to be with him. I don't necessarily care about the law. If it glorifies him, I do. I don't necessarily care if I'm good or bad, but if it glorifies him, I I do. I don't necessarily care if dancing's right or wrong, but if it glorifies God to dance, then I'm going to dance. And if it glorifies God not to dance, then I'm going to try real hard not to shake my G-thang. You know what I mean? I might have to edit that one out. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Here's how I want us to end. I want us to hear, I want you to hear those words, me and for me. Paul says, Jesus loves me and he gave his life for me. I want you to hear those words, me and for me, like a choir of trumpets right at your face. Jesus loves you and he gave his life for you. I want you to just be moved by that love as Paul's moved by that love. Jesus loves me. This I know. And that is no trite statement. Can I tell you that? I know it's a trite little Christian song. Jesus loves me. This I know. It's not trite. That is the statement if you think about it. Jesus loves me. And that will change everything in your life. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And he gave his life for us. I want you to write in big capital letters right there on your heart, me. Jesus loves me. And he died for me. And because he died for me, I've been justified. I got an A plus. I have been made right. I am free, free indeed. And if you can just saturate yourself and soak yourself and rest yourself in that, I'm not even worried about the law, and you won't be either.
you'll be in the arms of Jesus, following Jesus. Here's some more verses to that song you may have never heard. Jesus loves me. He who died, heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little children come in. You've been justified. You've been made right. You are fit for heaven because he loves you. Jesus loves me, loves me still. Though I'm very weak and ill, from his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. Even when you're sick, that is sick with sin. Even when you're ill, that is ill within, you know, that beating of the, of the law against your flesh. Jesus sees that from on high and he lays by you. He, he's with you. Let's pray.